Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest, now on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, some fun casting news for General Hospital. Brooke Kerr, who played Whitney on Passions, has been cast as a new doctor on the show. So I know you profiled Brooke last summer when we marked 20 years since the soap debuted. And I really love when Passions actors, you know, pop up and you really look around both the soap landscape and the more mainstream, you know, movies and TV. And there have been so many success stories. You know, currently, Eric Martzoff, who played Ethan, is still going strong as Days is Brady. And Galen Gehring, who played Luis on Passions, recently wrapped his Days run after 11 years, but is certainly going to air throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's like Justin Hartley, who played Fox. Uh, He was Adam on YNR before his current super high-profile gig on This Is Us. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who played Jessica, she has been so successful in uh, films and in TV shows like Fargo. Ryan McPartland, who played Hank, he's been on Fuller House and LA's Finest in recent years. Then you have Mackenzie Westmore, who hosted Face Off, uh, the real-life duo of Natalie Z and Travis Schult, who have appeared in many primetime shows, and Jesse Metcalf all over Hallmark. Mm-hmm. Um, so bottom line, Jackie Brisky was a great casting director. <laughs> Indeed. Um, now, Mara, we are marking quite the milestone today. It's our 100th podcast, and that is certainly something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, so our guest is Deidre Hall, who plays Days of Our Lives is Marlena and now Hattie, and is definitely a name that goes beyond soaps. It is rarefied air, as the saying goes, to be an actor who has made a career out of daytime television but has recognizability in the mainstream. I mean, I I think the list is very exclusive. In addition to Deidre, there's Susan Lucci and Jeannie Francis and Anthony Geary and maybe a handful of others. But the mainstream media is so focused on primetime stars and movie stars that it really speaks volumes about the popularity and uh, endurance of a daytime star for them to be known by the general public. I mean, besides the fact that she was exposed to another audience when she did the primetime series Our House in the 80s, I think the possession story really catapulted her into like pop culture discussions. You know, and really, when you look back on that story, I can't imagine it working with anyone but Marlena. And that's why it was so successful, because we were already invested in Marlena and we took this wacky (laughs) journey with her and it was great. I think that 
was the key factor that some other shows didn't really take into account when they decided to tell more out there stories. You know, this one worked because everyone loves Marlena and her and had already followed her character for over 15 years when the story came up. You know, you just can't tell a fantastical tale with anyone and expect it to land. Yeah, I think Guiding Light like tried to follow that golden rule when it gave the cloning story to Riva, <laughs> but uh, outrageousness was not in Guiding Light's wheelhouse the way it was in Daisy's, which already had like Stefano and the prism and Carly being buried and uh, under, uh, buried alive rather under its belt um, by the time the possession story started. But devil possession was an envelope pusher in a whole <laughs> new way. And I do think having Marlena at the center was the only way to make it palatable. Uh, much like 15 years prior, I think the GH audience went along for the ride of a weather machine because they were all in on Luke and Laura by then. Like me. Um I think Marlena being such like a wise and grounded character helped that story as well. Um, but it's interesting to me how story proof the character is in a way, which is such a testament to Deidre. I mean, like some Marlena stories have been more popular than others, but Marlena herself has always been a fan fave. I became a Days fan when she was off the show, presumed dead thanks to Orpheus. Uh, but I, I totally watched and loved Our House. Uh, but when she returned to the show in 1991, I think to that point, as a soap fan, I had never been witness to a return that was a bigger deal or made bigger headlines. And I know that when we asked fans uh, last year to share with us their picks for the most romantic moments in soap opera history, one of the top vote-getters was John and Marlena's reunion uh, on the pier. Oh, absolutely. It's one everyone still talks about. Um, well, there is certainly so much ground to cover here, so let's get Deidre on the phone. Hi, Deidre. <laughs> Hi, Eddie. How are you? Good. How are you? Good time. Good timing. I just wrapped. So this is, is this a good time for you? This is a wonderful time for me. And you're also Great. here with Mara Levinsky. Hi. Hi there. Hi there. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, first of all, this is our milestone 100th podcast. And we wanted it, to make sure. Congratulations. This Thank is just you. a thing of the future, isn't it? That's right. Wow. We, we wanted to make it memorable. So who more memorable oh, than having you? You know, the cutting edge. Oh, you're sweet to say that. Thank you. So we are going to go back into the early life of Deidre Hall. Um, so you were born and raised in Florida and planned to become a psychologist. Uh, so tell us how your entry into showbiz came about. Well, I, I was actually, I was raised in Florida. I was born in Milwaukee. And uh, my family moved to Florida when I was about eight years old to spend time with uh, with my grandparents. So that that's how that uh, that's how that voyage happened. Um, and, um, I ended up coming out to visit friends, uh, when I was, uh, out of college and came to LA and when I was here, I thought, well, I'll just, um, I'll make some money modeling while I'm in LA. And then I had an agent that said, well, why don't you try, uh, you know, print and then why don't you try television and commercials? And it was just, it was one of those sort of, uh, it was just a thing that got ushered in, um, and it really was uh, uh, to make extra money while I was taking classes. So um, that's how it happened. And I kept thinking, well, I'll just do this acting thing until I've, uh, I've got a career. And then one day I thought, <laughs> what am I doing? I, I appear to have a career and it's not, <laughs> uh, it's not in psychiatry. So, um, but how, you know, how ironic is, is that that I've spent 40 years playing, oh yeah, a psychiatrist. <laughs> Meant to be. Meant to be. <laughs> so you actually made your daytime debut for four days uh, in 1973 playing Barbara Anderson on The Young and the Restless. Uh, what stands out to you about your time in Genoa City? You know what? Uh, uh, I was brought in to 
play a character's backstory. So I was uh, I was uh, the reason that that Brad had left um, his hometown and and gone on to live somewhere else. And um, uh, so, um, it, what was interesting was my time there. Uh, I was sort of the little kid with their nose against the glass, you know, saying, "I this looks like fun," and these people rent summer places together and they travel <laughs> together and I, and I like that and I want to do that. Um, and, and because I was a, a sort of a, a historical character from the, from you know, recent history, uh, it was, it could not go forward. And, um, but, but I got a real taste of, uh, the kinship that can be, uh, uh, can be had in daytime when people work together for hours at a time. And I, I wanted me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when you did leave Genoa City, did you see yourself doing another soap? Um, I I was doing a lot of episodic um, and, you know, an occasional movie of the week. So I, I had not reentered the, the soap arena. And um, I had a, a call from my agent saying, oh, they want to see you for this part on Days of Our Lives. And I just don't know. So I, I'm in. Okay. I'm in. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and that was just how it began. Um, and, uh, I, I had auditioned with, I actually screen tested by the time I got that far, uh, up the ladder uh, with, uh, several women whose faces I recognized and I thought, oh, I know how this one goes. Uh, you know, they don't want a, a, a newcomer here. They want somebody who's has experience in the medium and isn't going to slow things down. Uh, so when I got the call saying that, um, that um, they wanted me to do Marlena, I said, no, no. So what was clear to me was that several people had been offered the part and they must have turned it down before they got down the list to me. So I thought if these really smart, uh, 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 appropriate women had turned it down, I didn't want it either. (laughs) So not knowing what was wrong with the part, I turned it down, said to my agent, no, no, I, I don't want to do it. And uh, uh, and then he called back, I guess, six or eight weeks later and said, um, why didn't you want to do that part as Marlena? I said, oh, I guess because everybody else turned down. He said, you're so crazy. <laughs> you were their first choice. They went to New York. I saw people there. They've been all over the place. You are their first choice. So I said, oh, well, I, I'm, then maybe I'll see you. So <laughs> it was just, you know, it's just, it's actor's craziness what we think. It's just what we think. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, so wait, this was a, a, a big year in your career because 1976 is not only when you made your day's debut, but it's when you portrayed the iconic superhero Electra Woman in the children's series Electra Woman and Dina Girl. The costumes were so of the time. What stands out to you about that experience? Um, oh, and thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh you know, I've got so many memories that are not what you think they are um, about doing that show. But but I had gone over and read for it thinking, oh, superhero, you know, like like Linda Carter. Won't that be one of her? You know, not. But um, <laughs> uh, but I thought it, it's it's um, it's sort of a departure from anything that I've done. And what a hoot to run around and be a superhero. And uh, the truth of the matter is it ended up being shot on a a soundstage that was, um, you know, we, we were, we were the original low budget show and, you know, we did our own hair and we kind of did our own makeup and, um, then we were on a stage that was not 
cooled and we were working in the dead of summer. So um, uh, what we ended up doing was we snuck over. We were adjacent to the Donnie and Marie stage where they had the ice skating rink. And so we would sneak over uh, when we got to work and open the elephant doors and let all that cold air come onto our stage. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so we, we lived off of the ice skating rink cold, and that was <laughs> a big relief. Um, in fact, it was where I, uh, I met Jane Elliott, who was uh, playing Cleopatra at the time. And um, uh, realizing that there was an ice skating rink next door, uh, she came in the next day that she was working with her ice skates and hiked up her, her Cleopatra <laughs> outfit and went ice skating on lunch. <laughs> so amazing. it was, a, but it, it, you know, it was a tricky show. It was, as I said, it was fast moving, low budget. And, um, uh, you know, that little car that we had to drive around was really just a golf cart. So they take us out on the road and have to, you know, make sure that we were safe and people were not too close to us because we were going about, you know, an eighth of a mile, of a mile an hour. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, our hair didn't blow in the car. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, and, and because we had to wear body mics and that takes, you can imagine that costume, you got to wrap the wire around and around your body to get it pinned in place. So uh, at lunch, it was either have lunch or, you know, use the bathroom because that whole thing had to be unwound out of the costume. It was, it was wild. It was wild. Well, you did make your day's debut on June 21st, 1976. Uh, when you think about the early days of Marlena and of you getting your feet wet on the show, what comes to mind? Wow. Wow. Um, there's so many moments, but one of the problems that I had was going from um, Electro Woman and being that, you know, uh, uh, feet planted, fits on my hips kind of, you know, superhero to um, uh, to coming to be Marlena. <laughs> and, uh, you know, her gentle, soft-spoken wisdom. And and, and it was forever. I'd, I'd get over here and Al Raven would say, ah, bring it down, bring it down, bring it down. You're not Electro Woman. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd get there and they'd say, oh, can you crank it up? Come on, we need more energy. And <laughs> so I was always trying to find a happy balance in that. Um, but memories of, oh my goodness, of starting on the show. Um, uh, at one point I had been watching a scene, uh, with, um, Mary Fran and I just thought she was such a gorgeous, elegant woman. And, uh, um, and I, uh, watching scenes of hers and then they were immediately followed by a scene with Mac and Francis and, and several people. And, and, uh, I was meeting Mac at the hospital, having taken the job as, uh, as Dr. Evans and, uh, uh, were introduced. And, uh, he says, um, Oh, Oh, Dr. Evans, it's so great to have you working with us. And I said, Oh, please call me Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Max said, no, darling, you're Marlena. That's Amanda over there. <laughs> That's how unaccustomed I was to my own name at that point. That's so funny. Things like that, you know, Jed Allen, who who uh, who, who taught me so much about about uh, the, the it, wh what was then not a fast paced show, but to me it was, and um, uh, how to get through it and learn your lines and uh, how to how to riff if you have to and maybe ad libbing here and finding a camera and finding a light and just um, he was a master and it was uh, it was great. And I remember shortly after I arrived, and I'm, I hope I'm not mistaken on the, uh, the period of time, but uh, Bill and Susan were married on the show. And it was just 
a phenomenon. I mean, I, I didn't really understand or appreciate at that point what, what legends they were. And um, uh, uh, for that wedding, we had, um, uh, uh, we had allowed fans to come into the parking lot where they had larger monitors that were showing the, the taping of the show. And just hundreds of fans who waited in line and couldn't wait to be here. And, um, and of course, you know, Bill and Susan having to carry the load of, of, of that whole ceremony. And we sitting in the church, and at one point, um, uh, Susan turned around and said to the, the actors, and also, obviously, to the hundreds of fans that were in the parking lot, um, I know this is taking a long time. Thank you for being so patient. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she gets it all. She knows it all. She understands it all. Not just that she is having to carry a, 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 an iconic moment on the show that fans have waited for ever to see, but that um, but there are other people that are, you know, who also serve, who only stand and wait and watch. And the elegance of that just, I went, oh, I want to grow up to be like her. I want to know what she knows and behave like she behaves. Just, oof, just a treasure. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so neat to uh, have had these iconic people as mentors. Yes, yes, and they are—they're icons. They—they're they're, just—they're the people that you know that uh, put us in front. Mm-hmm. So uh, when Marlena was paired with Judd Allen, uh, who played Don Craig, they were such a huge successful uh, pairing. You know, obviously. You're no stranger to that. You've been in all these great pairings, but that relationship was so popular in its day. What stands out to you about the Don and Marlena era of Marlena? You know, it was my first. Uh, uh, it was my first taste of couples fame, obviously, um, and uh, I, I didn't understand that that um, uh, being somewhere with Jed didn't just double uh, my impact. It quadrupled it. It was it, it it was such a thrill to the fans if we were at a public appearance or we were, you know, we were seen somewhere that it was uh, it was it was um, almost more than the fans could bear to see us together because that meant they didn't have to um, uh, uh, put aside their their belief in in, in the characters. They could uh, I'm going to say it badly. They could not suspend their disbelief for mm-hmm. that moment. It could be wow that's that's uh, uh, Don and Marlena, and um, um, and he was, you know, Jed. You, you remember Jed? Mm-hmm. Um, he was a wheeler dealer. He always had something going on. He was doing with um, and making some bowling for dollars. He had some sideshow, and there was always a um, uh, some gambit to be run. I mean, he was he was always making deals somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, it was brilliant. He just he he never stopped. The brain never stopped. It was just fabulous. I feel like we just posted the cover of the two of you um, on our website. And that was when we were monthly. So, I mean, to your point, wow. like, to be the couple of, you know, to be on a cover that early into, you know, your run is is pretty remarkable. Mm. Um, Thank you. Yes. Now, during that story, we also were introduced to your real life twin sister, Andrea, who you mentioned when she was cast as Marlena's yes. twin, Samantha. So first of all, how mm-hmm. did that even happen? And what was it like to work together again? Oh, well, I'll tell you in a moment, but I want to backtrack for one second about Jed, because it was one of those, 
in those days when there was money to be had, um, we were taken on location to um, to Carmel Big Sur. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was phenomenal to be on location um, and to, you know, all that goes with it, the audience won't appreciate this as much, I don't, I don't think, but I know that, that you who have covered this for so many years, you know, when you take characters out of the stage and onto a real life location where there are cars and sets and noises and airplanes and, and oh my goodness, beaches and streets and store windows. And it just, it adds such a dimension to, to the story, I think. Oh, sure. Okay. Yes. And so, so, um, so Annie came in as, uh, as Samantha, the evil, the evil twin. Mm-hmm. You want a story about the evil twin? Sure. Oh, tell us yes. a story about the evil twin. I had I had spent, uh, and any actor I'm sure will tell you this, um, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of um, equity in being able to cry on cue in a, in a soap opera. And um, I couldn't do it. I, um, I could cry in the dressing room. I could cry in the car. I could cry during rehearsals. And I would get to tape rolling and just nothing would happen. And, uh, it was just, it's, I'm sure it's happened to many actors. And so when, when Annie joined the show, um, she had that courtroom scene where she's, she's about to be taken off to the sanitarium (laughs) and she's got to take the stand. She has to fall apart. So we'd run the lines and run the lines. And oh, by the way, that huge great Dane was her dog, Phaedra. Oh, really? Yep, she she um, she had the dog, and so dog was on the show too. Why I feel not? Like we have a great photo of that. We definitely do. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. good. Because that was yeah, it was great fun. So the, the day she had to do the stand, um, I, I you know I had to sit and watch her and had nothing to do, but but sit there, and um, I said to her, listen, you know I'm I'm not going to give you a lot of advice here, except to say that when you know, when you get to the part where you're meant to break down in tears and it doesn't happen, don't panic. It happens to everybody from time to time. And just don't put your face in your hands and go boo hoo hoo. Don't do that. Just act as though the big print didn't say, and here she cries and go on with your scene. (laughs) Good advice. And my sister, the special education teacher by trade said to me, oh, I can cry. <laughs> okay. I said, fine, but when you can't, don't don't boohoo and fake it. Don't try to fake it. I can do it. Fine. I'll be watching. And son of a gun, she cried like a baby. And I thought at that point, you know what? If she can do it, it must not be as hard as I think it is. Only sisters never, can say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> never had a problem crying again. Oh. There it was. It broke some kind of self-imposed curse. Right. And I thought, yeah, of course I can cry because she can cry. So, anyway. <laughs> That's great. There's I the, love the that. Samantha on the stand. Yeah, it's great. That's incredible. Uh, and don't forget, she also played Hattie. Of yes, course. Yes. She yes. She, she was the original Hattie and, and we talked about it and they had a fat suit for her and the, the, the buck teeth and the whole thing. And, and, uh, you know, we, of course my character envy was in full force at that point saying, you know, Marlena can't, uh, you know, can, can't arch an eyebrow, but Hattie. And so she was saying, what, you know, what can I do with Hattie? I said, you can do anything. This character can do anything. Like what? Like, like be caught pulling down her panty line, like hitching up a bra strap, 
<laughs> what does she do for a living? She works in a diner. So does she she sling hash or does she, you know, does she have to wear a hairnet or does she, uh, she chops up onions? I said, maybe she chops onions. So she's always smelling her fingers. The audience won't know what that's about, mm-hmm. but it gives you a rich, rich, rich character study to play on. And she was hilarious. I remember. She was hilarious. Yep. I mean, it's yep. amazing that she is as a, you said, a special ed yeah. teacher and comes in and just kills it, you know, like a lark. You know, so I'm going to go yeah. back now. Tell me about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to know how you would do as a special education teacher. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> dream of it. In fact, I've, I, you know, I obviously, you know, followed, you know, her study for years and years and years and years. And the thing that she would do with those children were just, she was the first person ever uh, in special education to take children out of the state. And it was because there were special Olympics games going on and she wanted her kids to participate. And so she was allowed to take, I'm going to make this part up, six, seven, eight children across the state line into a, a special Olympics event. And they, they traveled with a few parents and they stopped at homes along the way and tell me, I mean, she is magnificent. She was the one who, when they were studying Indians, called her um, uh, carpenter and said, I need a teepee in my classroom. No, no, I need it bigger. No, no, I need it the size of the classroom. Wow. And her kids, oh, she kills me. Her kids would take the lessons inside the teepee. Who does that? Who does that? I mean, she, she would take one kid home a week and say, okay, you need to know how to make dinner. What do you want for supper? Hamburgers. Okay, let's make a list of what we might need. Take that kid to the store, buy the items, take them home, teach them how to cook, teach them how to brown the, the, the hamburger buns or whatever it was until every kid in that class knew how to cook for themselves. That's so incredible. It really is. Want to talk about a hero? That's a hero. Mm -hmm. That's real. Yeah. We're both getting a little emotional. We're getting a little overclumped in here. My goodness. Wow. Um, So when, when that like arc was coming to its conclusion uh, and NBC released this promo that suggested that Marlena was going to be killed off, Mm. there was a huge uproar among viewers Uh, Viewer protests. I mean, it was such a major deal at the time. I'm so curious to know, like, do you remember how you found out that this was happening and all of this uproar was taking place and also what it meant to you that uh, the very idea of Marlena leaving the show would be met with this kind of outcry? Well, you know, those were the days when we could get away with that. When, right. when there was <laughs> yeah, right. a photographer on the set and when there, there weren't, you know, weekly publications and blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, so at that point, um, Al Raven had come to me and said, you know, we're going we're gonna to pretend to kill the character. Now, it's, you know, especially painful for me because it means, guess what? You're going to kill Your my sister. sister. right? And I, I just thought, can't we be triplets? I mean, really? <laughs> you're going to give up this incredible character? I mean, she can still play Hattie, but, but you know, to lose, you know, whatever, Samantha. So. Um, it was a heartbreak for both of us for quite a long time, and I was more than a little upset with the show for doing it. But there that is. But Al Raven had come to me and said, uh, um, we have a problem here. Um, the, um, the the show was aired in New York, and there is an outrage there. And, you know, we've aired the, the killing of Marlena. 
and um, we're not quite sure what to do. You know, what are your thoughts? I said, I don't know. You know, um, what do you think? He said, well, I don't know. I, I you know, we don't want to uh, let the audience know that it's a hoax or it's it's not really Marlena, but we don't want to blow that for them either. And we were only, I don't know, a few weeks ahead. I can't do it now. Um and so before we knew it, there was, and then when it aired here, there was a picket line around NBC in Burbank. And uh, he came to my dressing room and said, I, we think we've got to do something. We've got media here. We've got everybody here. Um, and, um, you know, the problem, of course, as you understand, is if I walk out and talk to the press, somebody is going to figure out that I'm at work. Mm-hmm. And why, how can you be at work when you're dead? So. It was a, it was a problem to be dealt with, and and the you know the greater minds said you know what it's it's we we need to do it. So um, I put on my pink scarf um, with whatever I was wearing that day, a little white dress I guess, and walked out to um, meet with the fans for a second. So that was how that came about. It was you know we didn't actually say she's not dead, um, uh, but any any thinking person could have reasoned you would have known. Wait a minute. He'd risen the picket line at NBC. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, so, yeah. So we sort of um, uh, broke that fourth wall and uh, let fans know. It's it's incredible, though. Kind of what you were saying about the fans coming to you know Bill and uh, Doug and Julie's wedding, but yes, you know, and here they were so invested and active about the idea that Marlena wouldn't be on the show anymore. You were only three years into your run at that time. Like that's just it's so hard to wrap my mind around what oh, was that know, right I yeah. have lost track of that period of time so you you had quite a fan base right from mm. the get-go <laughs> you know it's it's when fans uh, could do that they had their little vcrs and they taped the show and little vcrs like as little but you know it was it was a time when when uh, if you were a viewer and you felt passionate you never missed it mm-hmm. and, and you know we've all heard the great stories about about um, uh, uh, people in their dormitories, you know, meeting in the commissary somewhere to watch the show or, you know, watch the show at night and binging five, you know, five hours on the weekend where, you know, where fans really were just uh, fanatics in a, in a nice, in a nice way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were devout. Um, They were devout. Now, post Don and Marlena, we were introduced to Roman Brady, and uh, who was originally played by Wayne Northrup, and their romance in many ways kicked off the super couple era on Days of Our Lives in the 80s. Um, so tell us about your relationship with Wayne and that pairing in particular. Um, it, I think it was genius because, because of the contrast. Because you've got Marlene Evans, who is this sort of um, elegant, sophisticated uh, um, uh, brain trust. And you've got uh, Roman, who is just nuts and bolts and doing the right thing for the right reasons and keeping the country safe and, you know, and, and has a whole, they all have this high level of integrity, but they're very different people. And, um, you know, could that be made to work? And, uh, and you know, as you may recall, uh, you know, they locked horns when he came to protect her and she said, I'm not having any of this. And, um, uh, and he brought a sleeping bag and, and there he was. Um, and just hilarious. Oh, oh. And of course, you know, Wayne, Wayne was from the get go, a practical joker joker. So it, it set the tone for years of ridiculous, crazy practical jokes. <laughs> um, and, any memorable and- ones you can share. You know what? There was a, it was, it was constant. So, um, uh, um, it, one moment is when 
he was he was sleeping in am I making this up DJ's bed I had a child and yeah and yes. had a little kids room and um uh, so he had to be listening for me at the door I forgot what it was but then he had to somehow run and jump back into bed um so since he was sleeping in a kids bed I said to my prop man can you get me um you know a, a pitcher of hot water <laughs> and uh unbeknownst him snuck over and before he had to do the scene soak the bed with hot water like a little kid had peed in it and <laughs> um and so I, I I knew not to be around, um, uh, but I was. Everybody was watching, and so I stood by the door to get away from him. And he hit that bed. Forget the scene rolling through. He was out of that bed after me so fast, and we were running down the hall, me trying to get to my dressing room to lock the door. And um, I didn't quite make it. He grabbed me and threw me in the shower. So it was a you know my my wardrobe was wet, my hair was wet. It was just it was it was an insane time. Um, yeah. And then um, I can't remember if he or I, um, uh, at one point, uh, we had uh, rooms across from each other and had decided to uh, tie our dressing room doors together so nobody could get out. (laughs) So when you get called on stage, you can't open your door. What's wrong? I can't open my door. I can't get out. (laughs) Knowing full well that in a minute, the person would go, oh, yeah, I'll just call the stage manager. They'll come and untie the door. That kind of craziness just... Um, he had, uh, was, had bunked in with Robert Clary at one point, and you know Robert is quite short. And uh, so Wayne went to props and got a, a, a pretend doorknob and put his name on the regular doorknob and then put Robert Clary's name <laughs> a foot and a half below it with a different doorknob. It's that. It's that. It was, it was a lifetime. It was a lifetime of practical jokes. And, uh, and, uh, oh, at one point he, uh, he, he came to, I can't remember why he came to see me or something. I was at, at, at the, uh, at the apartment, uh, and he had a trench coat on. And, um, uh, at one point when only I was on camera, so he knew his part of the scene was over and the camera was only on me and he untied his trench coat as if to flash me. And opened the coat, not seen by anybody on camera, but he'd hung um, uh, 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 Christmas ornaments <laughs> all over himself and all over the inside of his coat. He looked like a Christmas tree when he opened his coat. And now, try not to break. Try not to break. It's fine. No, it's normal. He always looks like that under his coat. Right, right. I mean, it's just, it, you know, hilarious. we could be here for days. But, but yeah. Hi, Larius. And another person you got to go on location with. Yes, we went to, um, we went, did we go to Malibu and it was meant to be Mazatlan? Is Mm -hmm. that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Put a bathing suit on and be out there in the sun. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember much about those scenes besides I think there were picnics and I can't remember. They were happy outdoors. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> and didn't he carry me into the water or was that somebody else? Yeah, I think I think he, he did a nice little, uh, like there was like a montage of uh, you being splashed in the water, as I can recall. Oh, okay. And taking you for a dip. Sounds, sounds mm. like a good day at the office. Oh my gosh. The location is just, it's the toughest because you've got a, uh, you know, you, we got a stopwatch on you, but it just is so... I think it's so satisfying for the fans and it's so good for us to get out of the, out of the um, soundproof booth here. 
Now, uh, in 1986, Drake Hogeston took over the role of Roman, who was, of course, later revealed to be John. But that was, of course, a watershed moment for Marlena as well. Uh, John and Marlena uh, are one of like the longest running and certainly most popular pairings in the history of daytime TV. So tell us about uh, your relationship with Drake. Um, Drake um, came into audition slash screen test, I guess. Um, and, um, I, I had agreed to test with everybody and there must've been, uh, I I'm making this up six or eight people and, um, ran with everybody the same amount of time, practiced with everybody the same amount of time and, um, uh, and did the scene with Drake. And, uh, later there was a, you know, it was kind of a confab where everybody was saying, well, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? And, uh, they said, and what do you think? And I said, I don't think there's any contest. Oh, who do you think it is? I said, I think it's Drake. I mean, it's got, he's got everything you need. Um, and I think it's a good look. I think we look well together. I think he's got an intensity. Um, he, he's got a, a, a strength and a masculinity, but a, a sexiness and, and, um, I, I mean, I just, of everybody that you brought in, I think he's your, your best choice. And they had been in the same place, but kind of waited for me to say it, I guess. And, um, and so he was hired. And I guess none of us stopped to think he, he, he's not really uh, uh, what you would call a terribly experienced actor. I mean, he'd been a, a, a sports guy, a uh, baseball player. Um, and so, uh, and, and there was also, if you recall, um, it was right about the time that uh, Ricky Nelson had died. Mm-hmm. And we all suddenly looked at Drake and went, oof, wow, there's a real familiarity there. There's a, there's a, he doesn't look like, they don't look like each other, but there's a, there is that thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, it was only a slight concern and, and it turned out not to be a problem. Um, but he was, he was dreamy. I mean, he loved to rehearse, wanted to get it right, very serious about the work. And, um, he would, he would, uh, he had a Jeep without a top or something. Why am I remembering that? Um, and he would drive that in from wherever he was out in the hinterland somewhere and would drive that in every day and, uh, <laughs> raining, he drove it in, you know, <laughs> we just, funny, kept thinking, God, can you save up some beans here and get a real roof for that thing? Or, <laughs> or just maybe stay in your room until the rain stops. I don't know. But. Yeah, that was, um, it was good. And I, and I think it was, uh, I think it worked from the very first moment. The, the problem being, as you're well aware, that how do we explain that Roman, who was, you know, maybe six inches shorter and had <laughs> sandy curly hair and no body hair, was the same person who was six inches taller and plenty of dark body hair. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, Pish and posh. everybody said, okay, whatever, but we're in. Right. We'll sign off on this. All of daytime television hinges on the audience saying, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll buy in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If they don't buy in, you're done. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of early on into your run with Drake, you were cast in Our House, the primetime series, and you actually left the show in 87. Um, I believe you had been doing double duty prior to that. Um, was there any hesitation in leaving the show when you did? You know what? It, um, in my perfect world, I would have done both, mm-hmm. um, uh, but the the show was um, was uh, able to 
uh, come in on Saturdays and shoot all my scenes. So I was shooting 100 pages on Saturdays. Um, and then I was free to be on our house with whatever schedule uh, was required from that. Um, and I oh, love both shows so much. And, you know, a, a primetime show doesn't um, doesn't work year round and has all these you know other considerations. So, um, but because I had to work with the children, um, the children had to be in school a certain uh, number of hours a day. So I would pull the swing shift. I would be up first. I would be up last, which meant I I wasn't really available to to do much else. And days, uh, you know, said we're going to you know roll with this for a year, a season, see what happens, and. Uh, and then our house was renewed, and they just said it, it's just too expensive, and we just, you know, whatever. So, um, uh, so our house, uh, you know, became what I did. And uh, leaving days, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, um, a, a real heartbreak. Um, and then, um, uh, and then, our house was canceled after a, a couple of seasons, and you know, that's a whole different story that doesn't bear going into, but. Uh, it was canceled, and um, uh, I think Tom Lang and I could be making that up was here at the time. And uh, uh, my, uh, uh, what's my my attorney who was who knew Tom and said, "Gosh, why don't you go back to days?" And there was sort of a little behind the scenes conversation that I was not aware of. And um, I was invited to come back and said, <laughs> "When? <laughs> oh my gosh! With all my heart, that's my home." Um, so I got to come back and it was just, it was a happy, happy day. We were just talking about how, uh, that reunion between John and Marlena on the pier when you returned to the show in 1991 is such a standout moment, just in soap opera history, forget Day's history or John and Marlena history, but just gave everyone chills and is still talked about to this day to have you back was so exciting. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. I, it was, and it was for us too, you know, a lot of thought went into you know, where does it happen? What is said? Where, where, from where has he come? From where has she come? What are we wearing? You know, I mean, it was just, you know, in, in days where there was time to, you've uh, <laughs> been on stage for this, where the pier was on stage, obviously, but there was a big, a huge, huge uh, container of water that had lights on it, that had mirrors in it, and somebody was hired to, to push the water around so the reflections were right on the faces and on the pier. And I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful setting. Um, and just that that moment, I think I think um, John had come from uh, I can't remember he'd come from somewhere a place with Isabella, and uh, yeah, yeah, huge reveal, mm-hmm. and not unlike the huge reveal when we came into Salem Place after he'd been he lost his ability to walk, mm-hmm. came in the wheelchair. I remember it well. Yeah. Enough. Don't you love drama? Oof. Yep, yep. <laughs> and that's that's the joy of playing in a soap. Uh, that you know, there isn't always time for the lighting or the script tightening or the whatever it is you want. But boy, you get to play the highs. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, another show, somebody else gets to play the moment where she's found alive or the moment where the child is born. But in a soap, you play every frame of the storyline yourself. That's right. a very good point. Yeah. So Stefano's uh, obsession with Marlena inspired the day's writers for decades. And we would love to hear your memories of working with the late Joe Mascolo. Wow. Um, let me think of storylines that we've had to do. We, and, and we've, uh, I'm, I'm, what's rising up is floating up is, is, you know, the held captive moment. 
of um, Marlene and the Cage. Oh my gosh, <laughs> shoot me now. Uh, what's required, you know? And I think I said to somebody at some point, "Oh, it's a cage where you can we can see all the way around it. Where does she eat?" <laughs> oh wait! More importantly, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's always the cage question. <laughs> yes, exactly. Always the cage question. How did that happen? <laughs> um, and does she ever get to sit down in the cage? Does she always have to stand up in the cage? Right. Um, Give her a perch. But, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> only you. Um, Joe was. Um, Joe was. Um, Joe was never without his character. I I'd never heard Joe speak without that accent. Wow. So I did say never. He got out of his car with the accent and he got into his car with the accent. And years later I saw him in something. I thought, why is Joe doing an accent? I thought, oh my God, <laughs> he's not the, the Stefano with the accident. Um, he, he was just always prepared he, and he always understood where the drama was. He understood what that love story was. It was the, you know, it was the queen of the night and um, that, that it was, although it was unrequited, didn't ever diminish the passion that Stefano had for Marlena mm-hmm. and loved her with all of his power and all of his heart. And uh, um, it, it's, uh, what I'm thinking phantom, of course. Um, of you know, maybe she didn't love him back, but boy, that was some powerful love to see on camera. Mm-hmm. And it drove story for years. Yep, drove um, story for years. Now, Stefano was also involved in probably Marlena's most famous tale to date. Uh, as days moved into the mid '90s, and then head writer James E. Riley crafted some pretty fantastical tales, including <laughs> The Devil Possession. So, what was your first reaction when you heard about it, and that Marlena would be at the center of it? Um, I first heard about it before we broke for Christmas, and I was called upstairs uh, before we broke. And we had begun to see uh, moments. We had seen uh, the the Christmas tree bursting into flames. We'd we'd seen a few things, so we're all thinking, "What? Huh? What are we doing?" And um, as I said, I was called upstairs, and I think it was uh, Tom Langan um, who said, "We we need to talk to you about story." And, um, not that I, listen, there's no thumb on the scale. I had no uh, uh, importance to them on that, but they wanted me to know what it was. And, and they said, so we you know, we're going to tell you what all this chaos is all about. Okay. What is it? Um, you're possessed by the devil. <laughs> and I, I had that dreadful moment where your mouth goes dry and you think, Oh, what <laughs> well, I can, how, is this going to be schlocky? Is this going to be, how do we, you know, how we do this? And I said, I don't, I don't have any, I mean, I, I am, I have a deep and abiding faith in God and, uh, um, and that's unflappable. Um, and I, before we had to do things like that, uh, never mind TMI, but, um, uh, I was always respectful and always, uh, conscious of, uh, the power with which we were dealing. And um, uh, then having to commit to it, and I was reassured by Tom uh, and by Jim that, you know, we will not skimp on this. This will not be silly or schlocky. And um, and an example is things like, um, well, you know, the eye contacts were no big deal, uh, but things like the levitation was done um, was really done. And I, I was lifted off the bed 
in that moment with cameras rolling. Um, uh, and I, 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 you know, it's out of respect for all the people that put energy into that. I won't tell you how it was done, but it was <laughs> a little scary. And <laughs> yeah, um, you were high above that bed. I was. Yeah. And just, uh, uh, yeah, but they didn't skimp. They, you know, uh, they didn't skimp at all on it. And I was really proud of it. Um, and I thought that John, um, uh, being a, a priest and that, that sense of, um, respect for the religion and respect for, uh, uh Catholicism and the belief systems and everybody else's, um, uh, unshakable belief in, in, in whatever their belief was, uh, was respected in those moments and that we eased into it in a proper, respectful way. And, and we, re- we, we eased out of it on the altar, her being exercised, um, was, uh, I was really proud of us in that moment. And that's going to be on my tombstone, by the way. Deidre Hall, Marlena, exorcism. That's going to be possession. She's possessed. Well, it is one of the stories that, you know, we were talking about how just you as a name has transcended just daytime, because obviously you've done other things. But still, that was like a very big, you know, turning point for soaps and just soaps kind of also going into mainstream media and people talking about it. Yeah, the visibility of that story was so great. Mm, yes. And that's what I hear about from people that, you know, that come up and you'll hear it at our fan events. You'll hear things that are, you know, this is my mother and my grandmother and my daughter. We all watch together. We've all watched for years. And uh, and they'll talk about possession. Mm-hmm. Everyone remembers it. Yep, yep, yep. It was good. And, and, and you know, high praise to, um, you know, to the writers and to our producers at that point for saying, yes, we'll do it. And, and uh, Jim Riley was a devout Catholic and, and um, you couldn't catch him where he wasn't looking about uh, the religion or what this would mean or how it should be done or could be done. Um, so I, I felt like I was really in safe hands by all the people that needed to make it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, let's fast forward a, f- a few years and another pretty outrageous turn for Marlena came when she was revealed to be the Salem stalker. Now, of course, in the end, it turned out that she wasn't really the killer and that the people she had quote unquote killed weren't really dead. Uh, but at the time, as you were playing the story, was that fun for you to play because it was such a departure for Marlena or was it difficult, you know, because it was hard on the actors who like thought that they were really leaving the show? Um, yes to all of that. Um, it, it, it was, um, terribly hard to see friends that I had worked with for years suddenly being made to feel dispensable. Um, uh, and, and any departure from Marlene is fun because it's, you know, it's why I love playing Addie so much. It's just a, a screech. Um, uh, and the great mystery of what's happening around town and, and, um, how will this storyline resolve itself? Um, but it was it was a difficult time, and once again, it's you know, what does the audience get to know, and how much how much is real, and how much is not real. And um, for my part, I knew that I lived, and I knew I got to play a, a pretty crusty character, so I I kind of like that. But <laughs> yeah, killing all those people not so nice, right? Yeah. Um, well, you did mention Hattie, who you have gotten to play on and off. So tell us about first of all taking over the character and what you brought to her, and why you like playing her so much. Um, Hattie, created by my sister, was just hilarious. And, and it's, you know, when your soap needs a little levity, 
You know, you got the throttle down on that one. Um, and she could be anything to anyone at any time, and you never knew what was going to, you know, come out of her mouth. So that that's what made her unpredictably delicious. Um, and when they brought her back, it just it, the feeling was, um, the you know the production cost. It was just going to be too hard to fly her in, fly her back, fly her in, fly her back. And um, uh, so you know the, the conversation was, would I step in and play her? And um, uh, yeah. Do I wish my sister were doing it? Absolutely. Um, was it great fun uh, watching her do Hattie? Absolutely. And, um, you know, and what I've often thought about the freedom with which she played Hattie was the abandon she has of a special ed teacher. There's nothing she wouldn't do, no face she wouldn't make, no sound she wouldn't make, no distance she wouldn't, she wouldn't go to teach those kids how to be in a better place in the world. And so she, she was, she had complete abandon on stage, which, you know, uh, because we've been doing this for a while, there's an awareness of, oh, how is this going to look when I do it? Is this going to be attractive or is this going to be ridiculous? And she had none of that. She had no, no uh, self-imposed restrictions on how she would look, sound, or behave, which I think actually made her a better Hattie. Um, uh, but then, you know, it's, it's, it's show business. It's not show, you know, fun games. Um, so, uh, I said, yes, I, I will step in and play her and have tried, um, uh, uh, sometimes I will watch Hattie and think, oh, that looks like what Annie would have done. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that she loved Mr. Roman and I, and I said it at many points, She's got to, she's got to be chasing after Mr. Roman. Um, and, and that, that, uh, um, romance, that mental romance of hers can grow her up. You know, I thought it would be hilarious if, you know, if Hattie's, Hattie goes to work at that diner, you know, cause, cause that's where Mr. Roman is. And, um, and then there's Kate and Kate can start to grow her up a little bit and clean her up a little bit. Just because, you know, she's a Pygmalion character. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, blah, blah. I die, I die best. Has your, uh, has I, your I, sister I, ever given you a review of your work as Hattie? She called. Yeah, she called uh, last week. She texted and said, oh, my gosh, what was it? The scene in the pub, I guess. But she's enjoyed it. You know, she's liked it um, because, it, it, you know, it's. She's heavily invested in it. I mean, she loved the character too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think there was a, I think there was a scene in the pub last week that she called and said, "Oh, yeah, Addie, hilarious." <laughs> <laughs> um, so, when you are not on set, uh, what do you do? What's a day in the life of Deidre Hollick? <laughs> You know, we've talked about that a lot around here because we've had these sudden, you know, lapses of employment where we go dark for a week, a month, or we 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 were dark from, as you know, from before Thanksgiving until you know, like two and a half months, which is an actor's crazy making because you know you have a job to come back to, but yikes, you know, how do you fill that time? And um, uh, we all fill it different ways. I I um, um, I watercolor. I don't know if you know that. Um, Are you kidding? I, I, I'm dispensing your cards like one at a time <laughs> to like only special people. Yes, I've, 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 I've so heard pretty. the gushing firsthand and live and in person uh, how much she loves those cards. Mm, You're goody. so talented. You. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you. 
um, it's a passion. It's, uh, I, I discovered I had a wonderful teacher um, that I took classes with, with whom I took classes, and then said, oh, you're only teaching three classes a week. Will you do a tutorial on Saturdays? So I mean, I was, I was after it all the time. Just love, love, love it. And uh, so much so that, that uh, Pamela, my teacher, has moved back east. And so I went dormant for a while. And then a couple nights ago, my sister, who is also taking watercolor in Virginia, um, and she showed me what she was working on. And we said, well, let's, let's do something together. So, so we got on uh, 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 FaceTime or whatever it is and, uh, and watercolored um, a cow. And, you know, what do you start with? Well, let's start with, let's, oh, okay, we've got the shape. Yes, we got the shape. Okay, well, let's start with the, and then we did at the same time, uh, which was almost like having, you know, your, your, your teacher, you know, at your elbow, uh, mm-hmm. but, um, but great fun. We both love doing it. And she's, she's the artist in the family and she's quite good at it. Um, uh, so it was great fun. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, send you a picture of my, we did a cow and we did, um, hmm, I've forgotten a cow and something else. Um, so we did two paintings, uh, over the weekend oh, that's amazing. and we will probably continue doing that. That's great. I love that. What a great use of technology. Truly. Yeah. Truly. And are your cards still available or do I have just a um, special? No, you know what? I, I quit selling them because it, it just didn't, it, it didn't make sense. I mean, it, it got to be so expensive to ship them. And, um, uh, I just thought it doesn't, you know, I can't charge enough to make it really make a lot of sense. So you have, um, a rare collector. Now, yes, now no one's getting a limited them. edition. <laughs> <laughs> and only for you, if you if you've got something you're running short of, um, don't hesitate. I will. I can replace it for you. Thank you. Oh, I wow. Love them. <laughs> yeah, she's beaming. So, of course, mm. you you are a proud mother of two. Tell us how your sons are doing. Oh, my gosh. Um, David is actually home. David is, um, uh, uh, as you know, gone to college in France. And um, has um, is home for uh, another few days. So that's been um, dreamy, having him here. I'm trying to talk and send you the picture of this cow. <laughs> oh, now I'm going to say, give me your email address, of course, and that'll be on the tape. Never mind. Um, so he's home. He's he's uh, working on a master's and um, has kind of bounced around from this to that to thinking maybe he wants to do something in production, but he's into sustainability and um, uh, all over Patagonia and blah, blah, blah. So it's been um, wonderful to watch him kind of find his passion. And uh, um, Tully is uh, is um, uh, taking classes at UCLA, and uh, you know is having a little bit harder time. Look on your email, Stephanie. Okay. It's there. Okay. My cow is there. Did we do the rabbit? No. Anyway. Oh my god! Um, so that's Seriously? cute, isn't Whoa. it? <laughs> if only there was video that everyone oh, could my see. It. This is so amazing. Isn't that adorable? Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I mean, I'm, I can't really o- overstate yeah, it, how talented you are. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, you're, you're sweet. But isn't it unusual that just? I'm sorry for your audience. This is a, a, a it's a, um, a, a picture. It's a full framed picture of a partial cow. So it's you've got the part of the cow's body uh, and the cow's ear, but only one eye. So it's as though you took the picture of the cow and cut off a third of it and then painted it. I love the eyelashes. So they're so detailed. Hey, 
<laughs> I know. Well, you in your box of cards, you've got the you have the, the giraffe and the raccoon. The giraffe probably has long eyelashes too. Do I have the raccoon? I don't know. I'm going to have to look. I have a lot of flowers. Yeah, I have. I it. have. I think it's David's truck that you know. I won't give that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, aren't you funny? And that's not one of my all-time crazy favorites. So. Oh, really? I love I found that. that one. Uh, I found that pretty challenging. Oh, so. yeah. well, this well, there... this cow is something special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a thing you can not a sentence you can work into every conversation. No, no, you, you are cannot. Funny. You are funny. Um, so here we are in 2020 and you are still going strong on the front burner as both Marlena and Hattie. Um, what does it mean to you to still be part of the Days of Our Lives family this many years later? Um it, it it's it's such high praise. And at a time when when you know budgets have fallen and salaries have fallen and and characters um, don't always get to stick around as long as they'd like to, um, it's uh, to be considered part of a super couple to be considered relevant to the show and the storytelling process. Dare I say, at at any age, um, is just it's beyond. It's beyond, and it's been a home for you know for many 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 years, and. Um, I just, uh, I've said uh, before, it's it's always such a good feeling to pull up to the uh, to the the security gate and have my card still work, <laughs> and the, and then to be invited back and and thank you. It's uh, it's very meaningful and and it is a home that I that I hope lasts forever. Here, here. Yes, ditto. Mm. Um, well, we thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all your amazing memories. Aren't you memories. good for doing this? My goodness. This was such you. a pleasure. We appreciate your time so much. Thank you for making our 100th podcast so special. Mm-hmm. And remind the fans of how to, uh, how to find me on um, DeidreHall.com mm-hmm. um, and the, uh, uh, the Deidre Hall fan page. Mm-hmm. And never mind your Instagram page, which we follow. Oh. I'm not on there very much, am I? Shame no, on me. No, come on. Come on, Deidre. I, yeah, I know. I, I, and I know that's sort of the medium. I just, uh, I, I sort of began as a Facebook person and I'm just, I don't know. Okay. Don't know. Well, 2020 goals. Maybe you should, uh, up, maybe you should upload the cow painting yeah, to, right. to Instagram. Yeah, right. the cow painting on Instagram. <laughs> you are so funny. Well, thank you. Thank you again. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Deidre Hall for being our guest. If you like this podcast, we're on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.